Welcome to Digication Scholars Conversations. I'm your host, Jeff Yan. In this episode, you will hear part two of my conversation with Jordi Getman from Bronx Community College. More links and information about today's conversation can be found on Digication's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Full episodes of Digication Scholars Conversations can be found on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. You were about to hear part two of our conversation with Jordy Getman from Bronx Community College. Please be sure to listen to our previous episode to hear part one of this conversation. Now, um, I want to spend a little time talking about um, COVID as well as where you're going next, you know, in terms of your new position and some of the new ideas. I'm sure you're going to have some, I'm going to make the bet that you're going to have some controversial ideas that... um, you know, that only Jordi will come up with, and that's good. Uh, I, I think we need more of that. Uh, but one recent conversation you and I had that really inspired me was that you were talking about in this last year, um, you know, your students have been hurt tremendously. Um, New York has been hurt tremendously. The United States and people in general have been hurt tremendously. But your students are probably... Um, one of the most disproportionately being hurt, um, and um, and that education in in the, in this particular context, you know, we should be talking, thinking about learning, but also healing and and taking these other roles in their in the, in their lives. You want to talk about that? Yeah, you know, it's um, I mean, it's it's interesting because I I, I have to thank colleagues of mine at BCC for, for pushing this more than, than I ever did. But, um, but it's, you know, it's been very difficult as you, as you outlined, it's been very difficult. We got hit really hard in March and April of last year by COVID. Um, You know, I, I live a couple of blocks away from a hospital and the the sirens were nonstop for two months. A lot of our students either passed away or had family members pass away. Same thing with um, faculty, administration staff. It, it, everybody was hit hard at some level or another. And because we just didn't know what was happening. And, and you know, I'm not going to get into that too much at a political level, but um, it did force us to scramble to put together and continue being able to to offer as, as quality, as high a quality education as possible for our students. And... And that is a lot of work, especially since the first um, shift to online learning was halfway through the semester. And then, you know, we did have to scramble over the summer. I I spent all summer, along with other faculty members, uh, colleagues of mine, training those who had not ever taught online. We we really worked really hard and had to had scratch the bottom of the barrel budget wise to try to find money to to, to fund, um, faculty development programs that didn't exist, had not existed. And so, you know, we were able to, to train well over 300 faculty in the course of the summer and it, it, it was, it wasn't enough. Um, but it was a huge step in the right direction. Um, but when you're doing all this, going back to your question here, you start to realize that, I mean, we're, we're already at a public institution. You're always pushed to the limit. To then, on top of that, throw COVID into the mix and having to move online, it's um, people were just starting to burn out left and right. Students as well, and so we, 
we we a lot of us started to to think very seriously about we can't just keep doing this without thinking about what it is that um you know how it's affecting us reflecting on it and then start to try to integrate uh what you would call sort of restorative practice um but not just the interesting thing is that you know initially you think well restorative practice as a way of helping you not burn out because of covid but then you start thinking about it and there's so many different elements that you can bring into restorative practice and 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 actually a lot of them have to do with our student population um they're their cultural and economic realities, background, their, their economic realities are, you know, they're stressed out on a regular basis. And on top of that, they have to face, as I was mentioning um, a moment ago, they have to face uh, being stereotyped as underachievers. And, you know, they have to deal with uh, with all of the sort of, uh, there are a number of different um Elements of alienation, especially from higher learning or, you know, sort of the type of jobs that they aspire to, they're, they're made to feel in many ways that they can't really be part of that group, uh, especially because of their ethnic backgrounds. And so, you know, the, the whole dimension also of institutionalized racism that they're having to face, um, all of this is you know, we started realizing that a lot of us are actually engaged on a regular basis on in restorative practice and having sort of teach empowerment through the processing of pain and uh, alienation instead of using it or having it continue to be uh, something that puts you down, kind of turn it on its head and, and analyze and reflect on what it is that it's doing to you and to your family and to your neighborhood and to your community and how it is that you can be a transformative figure for yourself, but also then go back into the community and help those around you. So restorative practice is, is, is something that actually, you know, we just had a conference. Um, we refer to it as the winter conference. Um, usually we invite academics and, and it's about pedagogy mainly, but, uh, but we invite presenters from around the the, the area and um, within CUNY, but other institutions as well. But this year we thought, let's just make it about our, it's only our institution. And let's concentrate on rebuilding our sense of um, self and empowerment as faculty, as students. And so we integrated a lot of the different theories that have come, uh, have evolved and emerged among our, our uh, faculty and our different colleagues from different um, departments coming together to really share um, the notion that that which is so negative in society could actually be an empowering element um, pedagogically and, and at a personal psychological level. And it, it, it was a wonderful two-day conference in which we, there was a, there was one presentation where we all stopped and did on the spot restorative practice. We did yoga and there was about 70, 70 of us on screen. And I have to tell you like that two, three minute, um, uh, like shared experience that we all had of like letting go of the pressure 
And you could like when we all got started, like opened our eyes and looked at the screen, a lot of us were actually crying, you know, like tearing up and, and we had let go of a lot, you know, it's that, that kind of sharing, I think is really important. And, and you were talking about that earlier, like the, the element of confidence is important for our students, but as faculty too, we, we need to have the notion that we can be confident in not knowing enough confident in trying to figure out new ways of doing things instead of always having to know you know i think that's the big the big uh, error that a lot of us engage in at least early on in our uh, i certainly did early on in our careers to, to think that we have to know you don't have to know why not have a nice extended conversation with your students where everybody can learn I think that's that's beautiful, by the way. And um, what a you know that's that's something, by the way, that every school could do and should be doing, and take a priority um, in doing so. Because I think your students and your faculty and your staff all can benefit from it, and they need it. And you know, where it's not uh, you know it it is it is a an important time for us to to get that restorative juice here because um you know it's uh especially for you know certain you know parts of the country and certain parts of the world you know we got hit really hard and and it's uh it's a uh, it's not a it's not a typical year for for any of us um yeah it's, you, you know you have to go from from right actually this was the part of the title of the conference is like you're going from surviving to thriving you know what how can you how can you actually take these difficult moments and, and turn them into something positive. Um, to me, the difficulties, I'm, I'm not going to downplay any of them because they, it, it's been really hard, but it has moved us out of our comfort zone, a lot of us, to the point that we're in a continual sort of liminal state. You know, I'm, I'm a big believer in sort of threshold concept uh, theory and and the notion of liminality as a as a a way of keeping the door of learning open all the time um, so that you're always somewhat uncomfortable with the situation that you're in. Well, you know, the last year has been really uncomfortable and it's, it's, it's shown us who is really willing to say, I am committed to teaching and I'm going to do what I need to do to, to continue teaching my students because they're, they really are the ones who deserve, um, they, des- they deserve all of our attention. That's what they're, they're here for. That's why we teach. And it's been, it's been wonderful to see just how many faculty have stepped up. Mm-hmm. We, we have it inside of us. But, you know, it's, it's, it's easy, I think, to, to get into, I wouldn't call it a rut, but certainly into a, a rhythm of, of doing similar things semester after semester. Um, to stop and rethink and, and reevaluate and reflect right, is, is incredibly important. And to be open to our students' comments. So you promised me that you were going to tell me a little bit more about your thoughts on some of the hidden and visible in reflection. Yes. You want to talk about that? You yes. Wanna, you want to drop is a, some knowledge here for, for us? <laughs> yes, it's actually a lot of this is by you know I, I feel like uh, sometimes I feel like 
I mean, I, I feel like a scientist where you're like, you're, you're like trying different things. You don't know what's going to work. You, you hypothesize that something will or will not work, but then you like have to try it. You know, every semester I'm trying something new in class. And, um, and a number of years ago, early on in, um, well, it wasn't that early, but you know, within a few years of, of teaching with ePortfolios, um, I was, I've always been fascinated by the notion of uh, reflection that you always, uh, you know, sort of brought forth when we had our early conversations. And I was like, how can I get my students to reflect? Like one thing is to just ask them a question and then they write it in their ePortfolio and the, the answer. And, you know, I, I, I saw too much of that going on with other institutions and other colleagues where it's like, oh, instead of writing it, on a piece of paper, they're going to put it on a digital format on an e-portfolio. So like to actually engage students in active learning through the process of reflecting on the e-portfolio is it's something that I, even to this day, I'm not completely comfortable with. I, I, I'm always trying to find a better way to have them reflect um, because it really has to be, they, they have to be able to absorb it and feel like it's, they're not just giving it to me for me to grade. And that's why, you know, like the peer engagement uh, with the conversations feature on, on education is wonderful, I think, because I can step back and then they can they can go at it with each other and they can get their, you know, the, the, especially now that you can get updates, um, notifications when somebody posts something, they're like going, it really has increased uh, students going back and forth with each other. It's, it's really positive. But what I um, found by accident as, you know, some scientists stumble on vaccines and whatnot, um, was one semester, I, uh, there was a student who was very resistant. He, this is a hybrid class. So, you know, there was a face-to-face -face part and he would sit in the back of the class and he wouldn't say a word. And, uh, he was a young, young man. Um, you know, a little, I felt like he was maybe a little too cool, for school kind of attitude, it, but that was me in a sense, stereotyping him. Right. Anyway, he sat in the back, didn't say anything. I would ask him questions in class, wouldn't really answer. And then on his e-portfolio, he would just, he would publish, I would say like, Oh, this is the welcome page. And, and he would, uh, so I, you know, I told all the students like say something on the welcome page to welcome the, uh, the people who are visiting your e-portfolio. And so he wrote welcome, you know? And so he was, he was always doing the bare minimum to get by. And then one day by, by chance, he had um, included me as a, a viewer. I don't think he understood that he had included me as a viewer and, and, and an editor also. So I could actually, when I went to his ePortfolio to look at it, I was seeing the, the edit, the edit uh, view instead of the published. So the unpublished version, the draft. So yeah, so his draft, right? And the published version that wel that welcome page just said welcome on it, but when I saw the the what he was working on his draft, he had extensive writing, and it was just sort of um, it was like he was it was very lyrical too. He was he was basically writing a song about you know his frustrations with the educational system and how. Um, you know, he was made to feel that he wasn't uh, going to accomplish anything in life. But then he said, I'm, I am here. I can't remember the exact words, but he basically there's, it's like a song. He was saying, 
but you know, you know, hold on to your pants because I'm going to take you on a ride of reflection. And, you know, and it was just, <laughs> and I was like, wow, why? And then he even had a picture of himself on uh, that page in which he, instead of being smug and quiet and sitting in the back, he was like right in front on, on the selfie that he had taken himself. And, and he was actually flipping off, sorry to do that, but flipping off the, the camera. So like there was this so much power to that. I was like, wow. Like, you know, if I had been, I guess, more traditional, but I was like, oh, why is this guy, you know, like giving me the bird? Um, but I, I was just blown away by how much he was like really engaging with that. And the only person who knew about it was him. And I thought that's wonderful on the one hand, but on the other hand, you know, what do I do with this? So I approached them in class and I said, uh, you know, I said, listen, I, I just, I think it's by accident, but I got to see what you're working on uh, when I went to correct your e-portfolio. And he was incredibly embarrassed and like kind of shut down a little bit. And I said, listen, I'm fascinated by what you're doing here. You're, you're, you're writing such lyrical, lyrical reflections. It's like you're writing songs and, you know, we started talking and he opened up and he, he basically confessed that that's, he's really into music and that, you know, I didn't really like history that much, but um, this is how he wanted to express himself, but he's uncomfortable doing it in a history class. And I said, well, you know what, why don't we reach an agreement? We, we basically talked it out and I said, all of the assignments from here to the end of the semester take him and then interpret it in song. Like write, it doesn't have to be a perfect song, just write some lyrics that engage uh, that historical topic that we're talking about that week. And let me tell you, like all of a sudden this guy went from quiet, not wanting to engage to just, he was writing incredible stuff. Um, even got to the point that he was engaging in class at uh, during regular class and and by the end of the semester, he came and he said to me, he said, you know, I, uh, I, I didn't like history. I don't, I still think I don't like it, but now I found a way to engage it. And, and, you know, we, we actually, for a few semesters after that, went back and forth with each other. He was, um, yeah, I don't know. There's like, you know, there was that, that he was reflecting on things and it was almost like, he's presenting me the failed side of himself. And it's almost like it was easier for him to just continue being a failure to like, just do the minimum fly under the radar because that going back to what I was saying earlier, that the the connection between the academic and the personal domain just didn't make sense to him. Like, like it doesn't make sense to a lot of people in society. We don't want to allow that to happen because if we do, then the academic doesn't have the sort of relevance that we've given it, right? Or the, the, the privilege that we've given it. So, but I think that that's silly. I think it's um, the more intellectual we make everything, the better. And the more we recognize that this, this kid was so smart. I mean, it's, I think it's harder to turn a, a reflection into song than to, but for him, it was easier, right? But then it would, for me, it would be a lot harder, but I would, you know, so there's a moment where a student who um, was happy to hide behind failure actually uh, 
I think failure in a sense was a type of resistance for him to the system. And, and yet I forced him to engage and then he forced himself to engage and then he found a, a new way to express himself. And so failure becomes the first step. Not, it's not this, the last step. You know, this is something that we talk about a lot with our faculty is, is failure as a gateway rather than it's the first step towards success. We have to allow our students to fail. Otherwise, if we don't let them fail, if we, if we, if we end the path to success the moment they fail once, then yeah. as none of them are going to succeed. And it it really sucks to be a student um, who you already feel like you know you are destined to fail already, and if if every evidence that get thrown at you is to confirm that oh yeah you you know that's where you're heading um like yeah. how is it possible for them to feel like there's a sense of you know there there is a there's a light at the end of this tunnel if i work at it yeah you know and i think that you know this is for me i um um i gave a talk at the conference and and i entitled it um empathy equity empowerment. Uh, and I was talking about developing, I was trying to reach out, sort of bring my colleagues together and thinking about a Bronx model of learning. Not, not to say that nobody else can engage in that, but um, we ourselves as an institution also engage in that sort of self-suppression of thinking, hey, we're a community college, so you know, how relevant is what we're doing? We, we care a lot about our students, but is it really the, all that, um, you know, uh, advanced in the sense of like pedagogical intellectual engagement? And so my argue, I, I would argue that, yes, it is. In fact, it's harder to do what we do than, than it is to teach a lot of privileged institutions. And so the notion of empathy, this is, you were just asking, like, how do you stop, start the process? To me, empathy is the cornerstone. If you can't look at the student and, I mean, you can, you can try to be sympathetic, but that, that a lot of times turns, in my opinion, to becoming, even if you don't want to, you can become somewhat condescending. You can, yeah. you can kill your, your students with kindness. Empathy allows you to try to understand where they're coming from. It doesn't mean that you have to like, make it easy on them. It means that you have to try to see where they're coming from. And if you can do that, then you can move on to the notion of equity, which is sort of the milestone. Um, that's, that's the center of what you're doing. You're, you're, you know, you're giving them the tools to empower themselves to then become not just self-sufficient, but, but very positive, um, elements of society they, they can be influential and then and then we're talking about I think a real um, a, a real like aspirational reaching higher from our students not just professionally but intellectually civically you know if you look at the political mess that this country is in and a lot of the world is in with populist movements, arising everywhere. These populist movements depend uh, deeply in uh, populations being uneducated and, and unaware of, of you know, truth versus lies. And so 
if we empower our students to be truth seekers and to use that as a cornerstone to what they, you know, truth as a cornerstone to building who they are professionally and personally, then they don't have to lie. They don't have to fail. They don't have to, they can be confident. They can be empowered. And it, you know, then the sky's the limit. And I, I, you know, I, if you teach at Bronx Community College, you can't go in thinking everybody's a failure. I'm just going to try to get 2% of you through. That's just not, it's a disservice to the students and, and to the, to your colleagues. So I can see already, first of all, why you, you've been tapped to run this, being the inaugural director of online learning at Bronx. And, um, but as the inaugural director, I'm sure many of the things that you spoke about will will permeate through your program, how you structure it, because you have a lot of new ways of being able to do things that um, you don't have to, you know, stick with whatever that's convention, you know, for, for you. So that's that's great. I think it's such a great fit for you. And um, uh, are there any sort of aspect of that new program that you are particularly excited about or that you can, you're ready to, you know, share any sort of like, like here's what we, we are hoping to do something differently. Yeah. I think that, um, I mean, it's a, you know, now that I'm in it, it's, it's a huge lift and it's going to require rethinking a lot of processes and, you know, there's already established bureaucracies and whether it be, in the academic realm or, or in the student support realm. Um, there's a lot of good structures that have been uh, built up in the last few months. Um, but it is going to be a lot of hard work and it's not just me. I mean, everybody has to engage in it at some level if it's going to work and I hope to inspire them and they'll inspire me. But the thing that I think is really important, uh, is to not just try to have a parallel online program that is a, a you know just a different modality than than face to face or you know more traditional um, educational degree programs. But I think that in engaging faculty and creative thought about how to best serve our students online without actually just without um, thinking here's another school's approach here's a you know a traditional adjusting traditional teaching to online modality you know without without making it simple just like it's easy to just say okay i'm gonna shift over to online and then i'll do the best i can no i think that the the rethinking of the process and and revisiting and reflecting on one's um educational conviction and you know pedagogical um, structures that they, that they integrate into their courses. That's a moment. That's that liminal moment I was talking about right earlier that we're all in the middle of at BCC. So I've, I've made a calling out to my colleagues that we should, instead of being afraid of that, really push the limits and figure out where we can go with developing, like I said earlier, a Bronx model of learning. Forget about what everybody else is doing. Let's see what we can do. And along the way, we're going to discover things that work and things that don't work. And we're going to write about it and we're going to 
publish it. And we're going to have it be part of the larger conversation about effective online pedagogies. I think that's really important because if, if we just do what a lot of us have done for years, which is to develop a lot of creative approaches to, to teaching and learning at BCC, and then, you know, we might go to a conference, present on it, and then come back and just keep doing it. I think it's time for us to take this moment to really build on it as um, an alternative to a lot of other institutions' approaches to to teaching and learning. I don't I don't think that we need consultants to come in and tell. I mean, we don't have money for it right now anyway, but we don't need consultants to come in and tell us how to teach because every time they've come in, it's you know it's been nice. You learn a little bit. But the context, as I was saying earlier, the context in which we teach is so much more important. And so why not allow ourselves to be consultants to our to our own community and really push ourselves to be the best that we can be? Um, and then, like I said, we're going to publish maybe externally. Maybe we can create a center for community college research at Bronx Community College. You know, so many centers that do this kind of work are are geared towards the consulting route of making money. For us, it's not about making money. For us, it's about developing something that really works. And so, yeah, I think that's, <laughs> I, I presented this at the conference and, you know, for the most part, everybody was really happy about it. Um, once I start pushing them to try to do it, I, we'll see how happy they'll be. <laughs> Well, you got to do it. I am incredibly, incredibly inspired by what it is that you're about to to do. I have been inspired by you for the last decade plus, you know, and more. And uh, but I, I really do think that this upcoming chapter, it's going to be so impactful beyond um, beyond the beyond your students at Bronx, but, you know, can, I really believe that it can be spread to, to a much larger, larger audience. And, and to me, what's so important is that you're addressing a, a, a universal systemic problem. Um, and, and that you are able to, you are going to basically find a treasure and that treasure is in your own backyard. Um, that's what's going to happen. And I think that the richness of, you know, where your students are coming from and the diversity um, in all, you know, by, by in, in all different ways, right, um, is going to provide the, the fuel um, for you to discover these things. And I think that's really what is going to come. And, and you are going to actually have an edge over a more... Um, you know, sort of uniform looking student body because you're not going to, you know, they're not going to have your advantage. Um, and and I think in, in many ways, um, I'm really happy to see that this is what's going to come out of, you know, almost like the Phoenix rise, rising out of the, the COVID, you know, years yeah. um, that you, you all had to endure. Um, uh, so uh, I'm so incredibly positive and hopeful to yeah what you're gonna do. i hope i hope you're right jeff i i um i mean i don't think that we can look at it any other way if we're gonna 
um, I don't know, it, it, it'd be painful for me to think of, of just giving up. And I think that I am lucky enough to have a large number of uh, very positive thinking colleagues who are think you know they think very similarly they they walk onto campus when well when we could walk onto campus but um hopefully soon we'll be able to do that again but thinking about how wonderful our students really are deep down they're so thoughtful they're so honest it's like they're not even so many of them are not even thinking about all the intricacies of you know impressing me as a as a teacher so that i give them a better grade they're not they're not really thinking about that they're thinking about things in a very honest and straightforward manner and and it makes my job now that i you know i've i've been doing it for a number of years it makes my job so much more so much simpler in a sense because i don't have to you know we we can get down to business in a very honest way and i i think that that's how um you know, I, I, I aspire for that to be the case the rest of my career. Otherwise I would get really bored with teaching. It's, it, be, it, it can be a routine that just becomes, I mean, I, I, I can't understand when someone doesn't continually rethink what they're, what they're going to teach. Um, because the world changes as a historian. I mean, this last year there's COVID there's uh, black lives matter. Um, you know, there's, there's an insurrection at the Capitol. Um, there's, there's so much to engage students with, but you know what, before that we had, you know, Bronx as a neighborhood to engage students with. We had, uh, the realities of living in New York city and the, and the complexities of stop and frisk, uh, policies. And, you know, there's always something that you can engage them in, in a way that it's not foreign. It is real. It is part of their everyday life. And you are there to go through it with them and you learn and then can offer them some guidance, some, some mentoring, and then they learn. And, and that's, I don't know. I think it's a wonderful, I'm, I'm, I feel really lucky to be teaching in the Bronx, to be honest with you. Okay, with that, Jordi, thank you so much, so much, so much for sharing all your insights with us. Uh, I think this is going to be a, a real classic. I'm going to, I think I'm going to watch this or listen to this. Um, I feel like in years to come, um, especially, you know, um, when we when we when we see that center, you know, open, you know, at Bronx Community College, we're gonna come back and say, "Hey, we heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, I hope you're right. <laughs> it's gonna be an uphill battle, but <laughs> we'll do it. We'll do it. Yeah, I, I believe in it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Take care, Jordy, and thanks again for being here with us today. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's always a pleasure, and uh, I I really am. Um, I'm I'm really proud to be part of uh, the family of of wonderful academics that you've put together over the years. Um, so I'm I'm proud to be able to call my uh, myself your friend. I hope as well, but you've become uh, a friend, and and it, and it's something that's uh, that's to be. I think uh, it's it's not easy to to engage in um, the business of education and be such good friends at the same time. So thank you so much for everything. It's been wonderful.
I'm looking forward to the years to come. Yes. Well, same, same here. Thank you. And uh, we'll talk soon. Okay. Take care. Digication Scholars Conversations is brought to you by Digication, a technology platform powering the most innovative e-portfolio programs in K-12 and higher education. Our website can be found at digication.com. This episode was produced by Drew Alvinicius and Jessica Chittum. Thanks for listening.